The Spin-Off Podcast Network. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Tēnā koutou katoa, no mai, haere mai ki Dietary Requirements, a spin-off's food podcast. Ko Simon Day toko ingoa, kei te hiakai ahau. In exciting news, the band is back together. The three uh, co-hosts are all here in the same room. I have the spin-off's food editor, Alice Neville. Kia ora, Alice. Kia ora, Simon. And after a three-month food holiday... Sophie Gilmore is back. Welcome home, Soph. Thanks very much. And happy birthday. Thanks. Happy birthday for yesterday. I had an awesome birthday, so thank you. It sounded like you had an awesome uh, holiday, and in harnessing that, uh, we're going to explore one of the countries Sophie visited uh, today, look at the cuisine of the US, you know, the rise of... Fast food culture being hip culture, have a look at fried chicken, we're going to drink some American pale ale and um, some Californian Chardonnay. And we wouldn't be here eating and drinking those things without our wonderful food, without our wonderful sponsors. And Dietary Requirements is brought to you by Freedom Farms and Fine Wine Delivery Company. Freedom Farms believes that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how that animal has been farmed, and they're dedicated to providing you with the best pork, free-range chicken, and eggs. This week we're eating uh, some of their chicken thighs, which I deep-fried last night and are currently being reheated by the in-house fried chicken aficionado Madeline Chapman, and you can check out all their products at freedomfarms.co.nz. And the Fine Wine Delivery Company is all about bringing you the best wine, beer, and spirits at the best price. If you're in Auckland, their buzzy superstores are on Lun Ave and Mount Wellington and Constellation Drive, giant purple warehouses of joy. But you can also get everything you need from their website, finewinedelivery.co.nz. The first thing I thought we'd do, Sophie, is... Find out exactly where you went, get a maybe chronological rundown from a food perspective of uh, the three months you were away. I was actually thinking it's funny you call it a food holiday because that's exactly what it is. Um, Some people call it a normal holiday, but um, I like to make sure that I, in particular, about all the places that I eat. And obviously cooking school comes into that category as well. Um. I left Auckland on the 7th of July um, and just got back now. So you might say my life has been a big food party since then. And then I went to Mexico first up. What does real Mexican food taste like? What does it look like? It's really interesting to separate authentic Mexican food from what we've come to know it as. It was pretty difficult for us at times to track down salad and freshness. Like Mexican people just love delicious meat in a delicious tortilla and if you're lucky you might get a little shaving of pineapple on top but we went to one place in the whole of Mexico um, when we were in Puerto Escondido and this hilarious Mexican kind of ex-gangster dude in his illegal back garden made us these 
tacos on plastic plates while he was ranting about how he hates his staff and they didn't show up and he was hungover um, in like 40 degree heat. He made these piles of tacos that were probably the best thing we ate the whole time we were there. So that was um, prawns that had been deep fried with a coconut batter on them sitting on top of really crunchy lettuce and covered in salsa. But other than that, um, most of the things that we had in Mexico were pretty purist, like one or two ingredients. And that's um, the biggest difference. Like when we got to um, America, we were in Texas, and so I specifically requested our host take us to a Tex-Mex restaurant, having just come from Mexico, and the food couldn't be more different. So after Mexico, across the border into the U.S.? Yeah, we went right through Mexico. So after Puerto Escondido, we went um, up to Oaxaca, which is the food capital of Mexico and um, is getting a lot of airtime in food media at the moment. Um, Unfortunately, that coincided with um, me getting food poisoning for the first time in my life. Well, I don't think it was food poisoning. I think it was brushing my teeth with the water, which I was told in no uncertain terms not to do, but having never had... a rebel. Yeah, I mean, having um, never had any sort of bug in my life, I was being a bit arrogant and got taught a lesson in Oaxaca. Mm. So the food in Oaxaca is where you get all the um, moles, so really complex sauces with basically just served with rice and meat, which was um, really cool to go to a food market and taste them all up against each other. Um, and they have specific rules around what colour mole you can have with what meat and at what time. So that was cool. And Oaxaca is kind of famous for its... Um, Hot chocolate, which for me was not particularly enjoyable because it's loaded with sugar. Oh, right. So it's like a block of, they they heat it with hot, like you can do milk or water or you can order half-half and it's like a block of chocolate that's about half chocolate, half sugar. Um, so that was Oaxaca. Sorry, I'm getting through it. Then we went to Mexico City and um, the highlight was we went to Puyo, which is the recipe from the Chef's Table episode with the um, mole madre, which people might have watched um and that was awesome we did the degustation there that was the one you sit up at the bar and you do eight courses of tacos the other more sort of stiff version is to sit in a restaurant and do the fine dining full three-hour situation so we were really stoked with what we did we had matching drinks and mezcal and a great time did you have any of that corn fungus stuff no that wasn't that wasn't served to us but we did have the um one of the tacos that we had had the mole ma- um, madre, which was, I think at this time, three, 1,300 days old. Do you wow. remember on the Chef's Table episode, he goes through how many days it's been? Oh, so right. basically like a sourdough starter, they use a little bit of yesterday's mole to make today's one. Yeah. And there's one that's been going. He's got a tally on it. Awesome. And it was on the episode. So that was a great time. Nice. Um, then I went to... Um, to the States and flew into Texas and another, and kind of relevant to today's episode, hipster food destination. Everyone is doing everything in this like cool hipster alternative way, but the food was epic. Like they're doing it really well. So like a huge slice of pizza, as big as your face, but it tastes amazing. So Texas is a very big place. Where were the standout destinations for that vibe? Austin. Yeah, so um, Austin appealed to me. It's kind of affectionately called the blueberry and the tomato soup. Um, And I'm I'm unashamedly a fan of the old country tunes. So this was working well for me because the snacks were there too. Um, Texas was amazing. We stayed south of um, Congress, so they're calling it SoCo, this area. And... um, Everything that we had was absolutely delicious. We even lined up for Franklin Barbecue, which I wasn't sure was worth the wait. And I'd read a whole lot of stuff and everyone that had been said, it's going to be worth the wait. So we lined up and it was absolutely epic. Oh, good. Yeah. Then we went to Houston and had, that's where I had the Tex-Mex. Which you would was... have felt at home in Houston as the Beyonce of the New Zealand food scene. <laughs> True. I can actually tell you that I did not feel home at, at, um, at home in Houston. Oh. It, felt, it felt really interesting to me to be surrounded by a whole lot of, I think the majority of the population there have quite a different ideology to me and I could almost feel it. It was really interesting. And then so we carried on our road trip and got to 
um, New Orleans. Ooh. And the food in New Orleans was, I used Leisha Jones's article that she wrote for Stone Soup yeah, that, that as a bit of an go. itinerary yeah. and then um, added a few other recommendations to it. And it was, we've had an absolute shocker going for two days. You need to go back, mm. go for seven days, go for the music. And I went to the best Middle Eastern restaurant in my life oh. on Magazine Street in New Orleans. Awesome. Who would have thought? Did you have any crawfish? Yes, we had. We actually ate all of the different things that are really well known. Gumbo. And then we, gumbo, um, the fried chicken and slaw. Oh, yeah. We had, um, oh, po' boys. We pulled over um, on our way. We did a road trip, so we pulled over off the freeway and went to a famous po' boy shop, which was unreal. Nice. Um, and then there was Italian restaurants in the hotel that we were staying in. There was an Italian restaurant. The Mid- Middle Eastern one was called Shire and was amazing. And then a super hipster um, cafe called The Turkey and the Wolf, which is an exact example of the other things we're going to be talking about today. Did you know you can hire your own second line brass band in New Orleans and have a parade down the streets Perfect. just for yourself? Well, as a, as a tourist activity. You know, friends are doing it for their wedding. Okay. So oh, yeah, that's cool. picked out New Orleans for both the food and the culture as a place where they want to go and celebrate their union and they've um, hired a second line band to host them down the street. A cool awesome. place. Like the music <clears throat> is on French Street. We had second line. We had all of the different types of music, amazing brass, like just in a line, just place to place. And you can just have a drink and stay if you like it or go to the next place and yeah. see what the music's like there. It's literally a whole lot of varieties of country and blues and everything and jazz. Anika Moore just recorded her new album in New Orleans. Did she? And they made a little film about it, which I saw at a an event launching her album recently where I went with some spin-off people. You didn't come, Simon, but it was good. Made me want to go to New Orleans. Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on the note of what Simon said before, having gone from Texas where I felt like part of the vibe yeah. to Houston where I felt a bit other mm. and then going into New Orleans it almost felt like going home I was so grateful for oh, the the nice. people and the culture and the food and yeah it was it was a real experience going there what's that Simon this is uh the billfish American pale ale yep but I reckon we get to that once we get to America okay or to the discussion itself good plan after New Orleans it's absolutely delicious, Simon. Very refreshing Very for a hot studio. Mm. After New Orleans, we went to LA, Bay Bay. And um, look, I love the restaurants in LA a lot. And I dragged my husband on on what he might say was the worst day, but was the best day for me <laughs> um, at Venice Beach to six different restaurants on one day. Wow, that's good effort. Yeah, so just like a snack and a little yeah. beverage in each one. But we went to one for oysters. We went. We finished at Jelena, which is my favorite one. Um, we went to Wabi Sabi for sushi. We went to the Rose for salad. Just made our way along Abbot Kinney pretty much. But Sounds like the dream. Yeah, and we also went to um, Osteria Mozza oh, yeah. in, um, in West Hollywood. for a, um, It was our 10-year anniversary, so it was a bit of a Aww. special occasion. And we loved it. It was awesome. Nice. Nancy Silverton's um, also in one of the episodes of Chef's Table. Nancy Silverton is my um, food hero. She's just... So incredible. She's also the hero of um, Andrew, who owns Wild Wheat in oh, Auckland, yeah. the sourdough master. Yeah. She's kind of like his inspiration. Mm. And There's he- that incredible quote in that episode where someone's trying to describe what Nancy isn't. You know, he's like, she doesn't care about emulsions and liquid nitrogen and microgreens and 12-course degustations and the person interviewing this guy goes, what What does Nancy care about? And he thinks he's salads, pizza and pasta. <laughs> yeah, and it's just nice. my so, homegirl. Yeah, that yeah. is just so exactly all you need in food, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think she's amazing. And I think that um, a lot of the specialty restaurants in America are doing such a great job of being epic at what they do and not trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. Because being away, you see that tourist restaurants literally like just serve spaghetti bolognese and you're like in the middle of Greece. Like what is going on? Yeah. You know? So that was really cool. 
and to wrap up, um, after we went to LA. Oh, which also, if anyone goes to LA soon, I think that squirrel was quite an amazing experience for breakfast. The squirrel. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's, I don't know how to pronounce it because it's S-Q-U-I-R-L. Oh, yeah, I've squirrel. heard that. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was squirrel, but I don't actually know. Yeah, yeah I'm not I sure either. That. But that was that was a, a good time for a hipster breakfast. But she's kind of gone um, down the whole foods lane yeah. without disregarding flavor. So I had this mm-hmm. like really buzzy popped rice thing that kind of tasted like salt and vinegar chips Ooh. with pork sausage through it and an egg on top of it. Nice. Yeah, it was an absolute hell of a time. Yum. Yum. Um, so from there, I went to Ireland to cooking school and everyone's already heard about that on yes. my diary. Yes, I'm sure you've all been reading the uh, number five is about to go up. We're week five. So number, yeah, number five. Yeah, and um, I think leave leave make listeners go and read about it. Yeah, absolutely. Check out the diaries from. Yeah, check them out. Recipes too. Do you have a good Irish accent now, though? Can you do a good? Oh, to be sure. <laughs> um, I absolutely loved Ireland and the food there. And on the way home, um, after Ireland, I went to Portugal with my mother. Been bloody everywhere. I went to Greece yeah. to join some friends on their honeymoon. Saw that. Oh, Just no. turned that into a buddy moon, and then yeah, talk about third wheel. Yeah, big time. Amsterdam, London, and home. And the last thing that I think that I should mention is that the River Cafe was potentially the best restaurant experience oh, of my life. Nice. Why? It was just perfect. Yeah, I could go on for days, but that's really all I need to say. It was unbelievable. We'll make you write something. Yeah, good idea. Go there. Okay. So Sophie's journey inspired us to choose one of um, the places she spent a significant amount of time and uh, look into its food culture a little bit. And I think it's really interesting how we've seen the rise of, in inverted commas, American cuisine, because one, it's so hard to define and it's so very broad, but this um, development of a scene around fast food, fast food becoming uh, quality food, fast food becoming cool food, and fast food also becoming really, really good food as well. Um, Sophie's sister actually is Mimi Gilmore, who um, started Burger Burger and was probably the first in New Zealand to make the burger experience, a dining out experience, somewhere you would go on a on a date, somewhere you'd go, you know, for a for a long a longer time than just smashing out a burger. What what do you think uh, American food is, and why has it caught on as a trend in the way it has? I am quite interested in this, and also I like to, as I go through places, go quite deep on Wikipedia. So I know the full family history and background of all of the massive burger chains in oh, America. And quite often they come out of um, one good idea that then got taken on by someone with a bit of business now, so and often they get ruined along the way. Um, I think that the the American hamburger is probably as iconic as it gets. Um, But there are a whole lot of American foods that we don't actually have a lot of in New Zealand um, that seem to be on all their menus over there. And I think we're going to talk about hot chicken today. But, for example, chicken wings doused in extremely hot sauce is not something that we have regularly here. And I, I learned to enjoy why they dip chicken wings into blue cheese sauce, which I previously thought was quite rank. So. I still think it's rank. No, it's en- a- Enlighten me. Okay. So I think you'd be fine dipping a piece of fried chicken into some mayonnaise. Yes. What they do is they don't – the blue cheese sauce is not – it's not Stilton flavored. It's a small amount of cheese that counteracts all the stuff that they put in the crumb on the chicken. So when it's all together and you – have the whole lot going on in your mouth, it's brilliant. Intriguing. I'll have to, I'll try again. Maybe, maybe the blue cheese sauce. You don't sauce look convinced, or just Simon. Maybe the blue cheese sauce in New Zealand is too strong. Yeah. I find it, I feel like it robs you of your chicken. Yeah, it should be more mayonnaise, less cheese, but it's, I, I really enjoyed the actual flavor of it once I got into it. It's been exhausting, guys. 
God, yeah. <laughs> and you talked to me um, before we got in into the studio about how good American food is um, fantastic, but it can be really, really hard to find. Mm. Surrounded by shit, most places. Yeah, so um, we, we did a road trip from Austin through to New Orleans, and we decided to stop at every fast food place along the way and give it a taste. And um, this is probably David's favourite part of the trip. Yeah. Um, but, for example, we stopped um, at the at Whataburger, which is almost like a really terrible version of In-N-Out. And I didn't really understand what it was that was making people go there. We ordered a burger. We tasted it. The bread was soggy. The patty could not really have been worse. We got some onion rings thinking maybe that was the secret deliciousness. That was also pretty disgusting. Overall, just completely underwhelming. And then you compare that to when you go to In-N-Out in LA, for example, and you get like a whole raw onion round in your burger. If you're into that, you can get them cooked. But it's fresh and it's crisp and they cook the patty properly and they're making the chips with the potato machine in front of you and it just makes such an enormous difference so I think that good American food relies is is us imposing what our view of it is but my overall thing is that if the food's cooked well it's pretty delicious if the food's not cooked well it's not there's there's a real nostalgia to um that famous American food that I think I have in my mind. You know, I always begged to go to McDonald's when um, I was a young boy, and now we get a better version of it, but the same sort of memories when you go to places like Burger Burger. Yeah. Or, you know, you go to Lowbrow. Big shout-out to Lowbrow. Went there last week, and it's fantastic. Like it's, yeah. It's doing um, simple uh, – nostalgic food really 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 well and i think it's kind of um more on it suits our taste more now like one of the things that I, I think that they sell the most of at burger burger for example is the broccoli side dish it really pisses me off when i go somewhere and everything is fried because i just yeah, totally i don't want to eat food that makes me feel disgusting even if it tastes good yeah. so i need something to counteract all of the fat and it needs to be something acidic or salty or fresh and so the the, the ones that are doing it really well, I think, are more suited to the modern palette. Yeah, definitely. And that, yeah, it just comes back to knowing what you're doing in the kitchen, I think, and good ingredients. Yeah, and I don't think anyone has the right to turn their nose up at anyone else's cuisine. Yeah. But I do think that you can comment on the ability of <laughs> or the effort that's gone into the way that the food is prepared because it makes an enormous difference yeah. when things are treated with respect and cooked well or like thoughtfully mm. compared to when they're not true did you see um a lot of overweight people in the u.s um i not not it's not coming to mind in any sort of massive way like the the places that we went like austin's full of massive hipsters <laughs> and they just look like international hipsters <laughs> they're yeah. everywhere so under, underfed rather than overfed <laughs> yeah. miserable and anxious no they've got like man buns and beards and like sounds right up my alley and some of them, some of them don't give a shit and just let it all hang out and play jazz music and no it wasn't wasn't particularly different to anywhere else the um the cajun and the creole people in new orleans are super thin um no on reflection, hmm, maybe I, mean, I was the most overweight person on my trip. <laughs> I remember going to Disneyland when I was like 12 and just being like, whoa. Yeah. A lot of like really obese people. But yeah. maybe New Zealand now, because we have quite an obesity problem, yeah. it's probably caught up, so it's not so. Yeah, shopping. it wasn't dramatic. And I had the same feeling. I remember um, going to Disneyland as a child and having that same, yeah. oh my gosh, Maybe moment. it's just Disneyland. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people getting shimmied through airports and wheelchairs these days. Yeah. And um, it's because of how far you have to walk and yeah. a, a lot of health-associated problems with that. But, no, I don't actually, yeah. I, in L.A. also, we did the, like, touristy hike up Runyon Canyon. And, um, yeah, everyone was just looking fit and healthy. But they have a... You were hiking up a canyon, though. 
Yeah, but they call it hiking. It's really just walking, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> like we just put on shoes and go for a walk. Yeah. They call that hiking. Hiking. Another yeah. um, really popular aspect of American cuisine that we've seen take off in a big way and again in a very sort of it's, it's entered highbrow uh, food is fried chicken. Yes. And we have an um, expert at the spin-off on fried chicken, um, Madeline Chapman, who I'm going to call. And Hi, Mad. Hey, I'm outside with your chicken and it's uh, it almost burned. It's almost <gasps> burned. No, it, it's almost burned. Oh, well done. You got it out in time. Come in. So, All right, I'll be there in a sec. Come on in with the come fried on chicken. Mad, Mad's going to join this us as a special guest to talk about the culture of fried chicken. Because she wrote one of the funniest and best articles I've read lately on the subject. She did. Taking Simon Wilson to... KFC is an impressive feat. I've tried to get her to like really own this fried chicken round though, and she's kind of fought back a bit. She's been like, "No, I'm not just about fried chicken. I don't want the fried chicken round." Yeah, but yeah. Look, I mean, no one likes to be pigeonholed, Alice. Exactly. Or chicken. Oh, holes. here's the hey. chicken. Hello, oh, fried just chicken. Just look a little so, bit on the dark side. Hill Henry's fault. I think, oh, I think you've him. done Freedom Farms well. I think they look great. Oh, that, it is, I'm really proud of this, actually. I'll put the recipe on um, on the website. It's um, recommended by Henry Mad. Would you like a beer? Yes, please. Could you please run us through the chicken recipe that you've used, Simon? It looks very crispy. So um, I ran out of time to get buttermilk. And I don't actually know what buttermilk is, so I melted butter into milk. Oh, my God. No, you didn't. <laughs> That's <laughs> not what it is. It's soured milk. Doesn't matter. You <laughs> buy it in a carton. But you can't, you can't have too much butter uh, yeah, on anything. So I melted some butter into milk. Um, oh, my God. That's amazing. I love it. You can't really go wrong with butter and anything. No, some true. eggs and some sugar and some salt and pepper into the milk. And then let the chicken sit in that for kind of brine in there in my buttermilk yeah. <laughs> for ages and then um marinating in a pool of buttery milk then i uh used the recipe that henry oliver recommended um just a whole lot of spices paprika uh cayenne pepper um garlic powder heaps so it's, quite, of it's quite bougie fried chicken it's, yeah it's all happening it's on brand um <laughs> But I think we should have a taste because I'm I'm proud of it. I'm a hundred percent keen. Fingers on, Go. I reckon. Is it? Yeah. Take one and pass it on. Ah, yeah. oh, oh, I'm just getting some creative I'll hold direction. One. Brilliant. I'll pretend. Get the, get the crunch on. Yeah, should we try it? I was going to say, should we try and bite it next to the microphone? Just for Catherine McGregor's better for crunch, but no chew. Okay. She doesn't yeah. like chewing on the pot. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yum. It was crunchier last pretty night, good. fresh out of the fryer, but that's yeah, still, that. still pretty good. And recommendation from Hillary at Freedom Farms is to try to use skin-on chicken. Um, that's a good shout. Now I've got chicken skin in my teeth. Does that just does that just keep all the other batter on? And it also deep fried fat is delicious, you know. How does how does that go for you, Matt? Good. Out of ten? Be it's honest. Not, am I? Yeah, on? you're on, I can um, hear you. Very good actually. I would have I like there's a little bit of spice. I don't know what it is. But is it I appreciate that. Quite moist, isn't it? Yeah, surprisingly, since I definitely left it in the little oven thing out there for too long. It's so the benefit of chicken. benefit of thigh, underrated piece of the um, benefit of thigh, b- piece of the chicken. Is that the name of your next novel? Oh. why are thighs next underrated? No- I don't. I don't think. I think people gravitate to breasts far too often. <laughs> mm. It's the name of your first novel. Mm. <laughs> We used to at Bird on a Wire have people come in, you know, can I have a thigh piece? More of a breast man myself. <laughs> how, 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 what would you do to your chicken, your fried chicken at Bird on a Wire, Sophie? So, 
we did two different fried chickens. When we launched it, we agonized over the best way to serve it, and we decided we wanted to do what KFC did in the sense that we wanted to keep the bone in the pieces of chicken and then make them the best that we could. So in Bird on Wire style, we had a massive fried chicken off at my house. Everybody had to come and bring, I think we had three different pieces of chicken to cook each. Each person had to, they had to execute their favorite method. So we had um, a, lots of it in buttermilk. We had dusted and floured. We had all sorts. Anyway, the result that we ended up with, and we had a party and launched it in, um, in our Takapuna courtyard. Oh, I think I like remember a, that. The DJ and we were drinking whiskey and stuff. It was um, confit, so we cooked it in its own fat, and then we floured it, and then we fried it. And you just beat me up for being bougie. And I, <laughs> I thought it was absolutely awesome. Anyway, turns out the New Zealand public preferred chicken without bones in it. Oh. from Bird on a Wire, and it just didn't seem a, like that approachable because I think people want it as a, you know, something to share or like a side, mm-hmm. and we just had these big pieces of it. So yeah. then we had to refresh the whole thing, and we now it's um, served the way that we changed it to, which is um, pieces of boneless thigh, um, marinated in buttermilk, not Actu- butter <laughs> and milk, but actual <laughs> buttermilk, and then... Um, and then fried and served with mayonnaise. I know. Very quickly, it, what is oh. buttermilk? Sorry, Ella. Soured milk. Soured milk. You get it in a carton and like literally in the milk aisle. It looks like the, almost like next to that custard that people. Yeah. Have. What would you use it for other than pancakes? Well, in Ireland, they put it in all their soda breads. You know that fatouche I'm making that features. Well, it's like you can either mix yogurt into milk and it will kind of ferment, or you can just use buttermilk. In Poland, Henry's just coming in. He's been invited. In Poland, they drink buttermilk. Hi, Henry. Hi, Henry. Hi. We're just giving the uh, giving the fried chicken to the rest of the staff, so we've got an intruder in the studio. Take the bowl. Say hello, Henry. Please do. Um, in Poland, they drink buttermilk, Simon, with a meal. Do they? Wow. Mm. So over uh, the winter, we've seen fried chicken in Auckland in a big way. There's been a festival. There's been a – what was the Melbourne restaurant that popped up? Bell's Hot Chicken. Bell's Hot Chicken. Um, Texas? Texas Chicken. Texas Chicken claimed that they did the hottest chicken in the history of hot chicken. Wasn't there a whole Auckland Fried Chicken Festival? Yes. Just said that. Yeah. I I went to that. Sorry, I was eating the chicken. (laughs) Mad actually had a um, bit of reportage from the Fried Chicken Festival. Did you? Yeah. There were a a lot of, you can talk about it, Mad. Um, yeah, so I went intending to, I took some KFC, we took KFC with us, and we cut it up, uh, cut up some chicken strips, made it look a bit nicer, and then presented it to see if anyone noticed that it was mm-hmm. just chicken strips put rather some, than... like, frise um, lettuce on Yeah, put a little with, bit of lettuce it on fancy. it, put a toothpick in it. Um, fancy lettuce. People did, after we said it was KFC, they were like, oh, of course. But most, a lot of people were just like, oh, that was pretty good. It was a bit cold because it had yeah. been sitting in our bag. <laughs> but um, the but everyone liked it, yeah. I think, or almost everyone. And so they didn't really notice a difference between that versus the expensive stuff that they were getting from the stalls. And then when I went up to, we wanted to line up to get, you know, chicken. Mm-hmm. And we waited for about 40 minutes in line and the, the festival's only open for a few hours. And so you can really only get one thing. Oh, and, no. And so we just sort of picked a line. You don't want to go to the longest line, even though it looks like the best, because that was like over an hour wait. I so, was somehow part of this Facebook group about the Auckland Fried Chicken Festival. And it just absolutely blew up. So they started yeah. off inviting mm-hmm. people, and then it got really hectic. And then they're like, we've got to change the venue. We've got too much interest. And then... Everyone's like got it in their calendars. It was an absolute frenzy. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. That you paid five dollars to be let in. Oh, to you still have numbers. to. Yeah. So they had limited numbers, but I think it was still too high because there were just so many people there. You couldn't walk because all the lines were joining together from all the different and caravans. More importantly, you couldn't eat enough fried chicken. And you could only unless you went either right at the start or right at the end. You, if you went just in the middle, like seven o'clock. 
you could pick one if you're with someone else I guess you could go to like one each but then you're just standing there for like 45 minutes waiting (laughs) for your one little piece of chicken I think it's indicative though of how popular fried chicken has become I'm sorry to pin you down mad just as you take a bite but why why do you think fried chicken other than the fact it tastes so good has reached this tipping point and has become um, so universally beloved. Yeah. She's just. I chewing. think everyone's always liked it. People were just embarrassed to like it before. There was you some know, stigma. There was a bit of a class it. thing. Point, that, yeah. You know, you like. I used to think the only place you get fried chicken was KFC, or the random ones that you get at the fish and chip shop that sort of just sit in that, that warmer yeah, 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 yeah. Next, to, next to the chips. So there was a thing that if you're eating fried chicken, it means that you just got a real budget meal and, you know, or you're eating with a whole bunch of people. And so now it's sort of like when fancy, oh, fish and chips actually has the benefit of having its own reputation of like it's supposed to be in sort of budget Low-key, look. Yeah. yeah. But I think... Yeah, I think everyone always liked fried chicken. They just didn't want to go to the local bakery and get a piece, or they didn't want to go to KFC. Um, and so then as soon as more upmarket places started doing essentially the exact same thing, then suddenly it's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine feel, to like fried chicken. I feel like it kind of comes back to what I was saying before as well. If it's cooked well, there almost doesn't need to be another reason. Like, it's just delicious. Everyone likes fried chicken that is cooked really well you know and I think that everyone's probably a bit you know maybe they were being judgmental about other things as well but ultimately if it doesn't taste good then no one wants to eat it like the ones that sit around before we started Bird on a Wire we bought a fish and chip shop on on Ponsonby Road that was called Nina's Takeaways and she used to pre-fry the chicken and then just leave it sort of lingering Mm. in a bain-marie for the poor drunk person that needed a snack. Like, just make them some fresh fried chicken. Yeah? I bet the drunk person still loved it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I'm sure I've eaten plenty of those 12-hour-old fried chicken. <laughs> You've lived to tell the tale. Because the cultural connotations of fried chicken are really interesting. I first discovered them when I watched Dave Chappelle's block party. There's a black dude on the bus with a piece of watermelon and a piece of fried chicken, you know playing, you know, don't film me, I'm d- you can't show me as a cultural stereotype, Play it, laughing about it. And then on David Chang's... Um, Ugly Delicious. Ugly Delicious uh, documentary series on the cultural significance of food in the US that really got into um, the way that fried chicken has become a stereotype uh, of the black community. I think that same thing probably extends to New Zealand. Do you, Mad? Do you think that um, co- fried chicken has become a cultural signifier for our brown communities here, and had become almost stigmatized? And I, I don't know. I think of your story you did with Simon that uh, showed a really different side to the value of the importance and the place that fried chicken has for. Uh, Communities that have big parties with with not not as much money. Big families. Um, yeah, I think KFC definitely uh, is a for me like a Samoan or Pacific Island. It's a thing. Um, KFC on a Sunday at, at about one o'clock is about the most busy you can get because it's when everyone's leaving church and then going to the Tōnai after, which is the lunch, um, and you got to pick up the chicken on the way on the way there so that it's just every single meal that we had that involved more than 10 people it was like a family gathering there would always be KFC no one mentioned it it wasn't a it was just that is the easiest way to get a lot of meat for a lot of people at a reasonable price and even um, I went to a Tuvalu community, Auckland Tuvalu community gathering. There would have been hundreds of people there. No one spoke English. It was very much a cultural gathering. And they had all the traditional foods. They had the raw fish. They had the, you know, the taro sort of like mash and all this stuff. And then just at the end, two boxes of KFC. Mm. It was just, it wasn't like that's the main thing. It was just one of about 12 different dishes that they had set up. But it was just... 
you just do it. They probably could have not had it there and it would have been completely That's fine. That's what I liked but. about your article. It really speaks to the practicality of it. Yeah. yeah. Like you were saying, everyone likes fried chicken, but it makes absolute sense. Mm. Where else can you go and pick up a whole lot of hot, delicious protein for a, a big group of people? And who else is serving things that are easily shared? Yeah, it's like, I mean, even um, Damon Salisa, who wrote about the sort of Pacific communities in Auckland and New Zealand, even he, who's, he's, he's sort of considered quite a scholarly person. He's very kind of, um, you know, quite serious, that stuff. And he, he said he begrudgingly admitted that he knows he's playing into a stereotype when he talks about KFC, but... He also knows that if he takes KFC to a family gathering, that will be the most popular dish he ever brings to a family gathering. Mm. So it's just like, if it works, it works. Um, But I think that reputation also then played into, oh, this is is like a a budget meal. You know, this is not where people who actually appreciate food and that sort of thing go. Yeah. Um, And, you know, then they play off each other and, and I think that's where the the only the recent rise and yeah because there was a bit of a chicken. stigma but what I thought was cool about your article too was that it was talking about the sheer number of people like mm. it's yeah. a community gathering it's a huge family like yeah how many of us have got 13 people to feed on a Sunday I wonder, I- sorry I wonder if when KFC first opened in New Zealand I don't think it had the stigma because I remember my Parents talking, calling it Kentucky Fried, not KFC, and it being mm. all like not fancy but kind of cool. Like, and Simon were, Wright said he used to yeah. in that article said he used to eat it when he was small. I think when it first opened, it was like, oh, this very novel sort of like yeah, Kentucky Fried. And then I remember growing up as I got older, it became like, you know, growing up in a white family and mainly white friends, it became like yeah, kind of like you'd only get it if you're hungover, kind of secretly, mm. and it's like you know the dirty bird. Yeah, mm. it's very very good though. It is really good. That's the thing. I have the chips. I mean, Simon said that he didn't like it, and that you know he talked, he spoke about it critically. But I, I still think that he couldn't get past the fact that it was fast food. That's yeah. so interesting. I, I, I think if you, I think if you put some of that stuff, like a Wicked Wing, or something, if you put that in a different context in a different setting and you plated it differently I think he would have a different opinion of it that's interesting and I I hearing you speak about the prejudice I tend I was sort of raised and I I often find that I'm really unprejudiced about things I've never even thought about what you're saying I've never thought it was shameful never thought it was budget never thought it was I thought it was unhealthy Mm. and so that's why I didn't want to eat it and then wound up like that you know I find it it's kind of all bound up together the unhealthiness and the kind of shame of it maybe sure some but, people but if something's cooked like if something's fried properly the outside of it is permeated by the oil not all the way through so mm. in my mind it was like dripping with oil and so yeah. I avoided it but it's not mm. even the case at all mm. I mean I still think if I um when I'm I'm not at the moment but if I am training and I'm supposed to be eating a bit better even though cat KFC is the best fast food option because it's got fat and it's no got carbs. protein, but it doesn't have the carbs and it doesn't have all that other stuff. So having just a piece of fried chicken is better mm. than eating a probably what you'd consider like a slightly healthier burger. Or That's you know. what I had in the airport. On my way home, I had <laughs> um, some chicken wings and a side of salad because I didn't feel like eating carbohydrate before I got on a plane, and it was brilliant. Yeah. I can totally get that. How's that for an endorsement? Marathon runner... <laughs> Yeah. Javelin champion, you know, Madeline Chapman says, eat fried chicken. Eat KFC. <laughs> awesome. I think also when I was a teenager, there was a lot of stories going around about people finding like rats in their piece of KFC. And I think as someone who was like a new vegetarian being like real grossed out by meat anyway, that, you know, the idea of like that you would find a bite into it and it was a rat really stuck with me. No, it's <laughs> I've never heard probably that. bullshit, but. Absolutely. That just really okay. stuck in my head. Razor blades in the slide. Yeah, yeah. all those myths. urban myths. Yeah. I feel like this is the part where I confess that I don't really get grossed out by um, rats. <laughs> bad, bad rats. hygiene ratings. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, is it awkward that I'd still eat it? <laughs> no, I think a lot of it is misunderstood. And like, apparently, do- if you've got like a dog 
who sometimes comes in. You know, in like overseas, it's cool to have dogs in your bar and yeah. stuff. Here, like there's a vineyard on Waiheke where a dog hangs out of the vineyard, which is charming. Mm. It's like a D rating because they what, have a dog that goes around there. Sometimes. What rating do you think your kitchen would get, Matt? At home? Yeah. At our flat? Uh, it depends. It, it goes Any through. Any given day. It goes through waves of like, uh, like sometimes I go in and spend like five hours cleaning the oven, and then, but then you just watch it slowly. You're like, oh, then you leave you, it for five years yeah, and do it again. Just watch it slowly <laughs> get worse. But I think overall, probably a B. Sophie, solid. You have an obsessive compulsive cleaning husband. No, but I think I'm a solid B as well. Like, are you talking about food hygiene? Like, we're reheating rice. I'm, you know. I'm I'm an absolute rogue in terms of what food safety is supposed to be. I'd say at home, at my childhood home though, it would have got an A plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought me. everyone had ovens that were like spotless all the time. No, oh really? That's just our nah, mate. <laughs> yeah. Ellis. Yeah, well, I don't want to copy, but I was thinking a solid B. Like I live by myself, so I don't. You know, there's no really excuse for my kitchen getting filthy. What you would eat is different to what you're allowed to serve and what you would serve as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, I mean, after yesterday with the cake incident, now I've got an oven filled with cake batter. But other than that, I'm an advocate of leaving a rotisserie chicken on the bench all day. And yeah. even overnight and eating it, just don't refrigerate it because it loses the flavor. But you could never do that. In I, th- a- I think no. it's the oven that always lets you down as well. It's such a painful clean. Oh, yeah. I'm traumatized from about the two times in my life I've cleaned an oven. And then I've just paid people to cl- do it. Oh, yeah. Hey. Which is worth it. It's like get it on grab one. It's like 50 bucks. What? And they do like Someone, the whole. Just the an whole. oven cleaner or like a cleaner. So a cleaner. Someone who comes in and does it. Wow. But just ovens? Well, I can't remember. I would, yeah. I would pay a I'd lot. Pay, yeah. I feel like I you've got to be an expert like to, like, paying just a regular cleaner No, I think it's an like an oven cleaner, like, yeah, a specialist oven you cleaner. Gotta, yeah. Have you seen those you fancy <coughs> ovens that have self-cleaning on them? We, Does we that got actually one of the, work, though? When, uh, yeah. After 20 years of renovations, my mum finally got a new kitchen, and the one Aww. thing she wanted was a double oven that self-cleaned. Oh, good on her. Does Turn, it work? Turns out it, like, sort of. It yeah. goes just so hot that it's supposed to like fry everything on it, and then all you got to do is just go like, in and wipe like it just out. wipe. But even she was like, "Eh, it's she's like, it's yeah, but she's got a plus standards. Yeah, I think it. I'd be sweet she, with it. Yeah, she, I think if yeah, I think if you were just wanting to maintain it, yeah. whatever it it would work. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to like incinerate the whole insides of your oven, and then you just wipe it, oh, wipe and right. walk away. <laughs> so, what rating is your kitchen getting, Simon? Other than the oven, like a bee, yeah. um, I'm blessed to have um, someone who makes me clean. Um, yeah. She has high standards and makes me uh, maintain them. Food hygiene-wise, I think I'm improving. Mm. I actually con- We're having a the monthly shared spin-off um, feed today, and I had these organic lamb shanks that were two weeks past their best before. Yeah. I contacted my butcher and I said, look, this still, the vacuum pack is still really tight. Mm-hmm. They haven't turned green. She was very reluctant about me serving them. And she said, okay, open them up yeah. and see what, they would, see what they smell like in half an hour because you have that vacuum pack. They smell strange when you first open them. After half an hour, they don't smell very good at yeah. all. So you can be um, very comfortable knowing that I made the right decision yeah. and uh, they went in the rubbish bin rather than mm. into the uh, oven. With but it the, is heartbreaking. I, I know. I hate and it's my own fault as well. It yeah. really annoys me. I think that the use by best before thing is one of the biggest scams in food. Like You really need to know, and people should know, how to smell and touch yeah. and even taste it to see whether the food's okay. Like Use by, it's, it's, it's literally them just saying I want you to buy more of my product so I'm just going to put a short life mm. on it. There's a bottle of sour cream in the fridge here at work that is unopened that's about a month past its best before but it's sour cream like I'm sure if we open it and it's not moldy it'll be fine right? Worst case scenario it's soured. Yeah exactly. <laughs> Let's serve it at lunch. Mm. Mad I know you have things to do you're welcome to stay and talk about uh, American beverages or you can go and um, continue to do what you're paid for. Aside from Dr. Pepper, I don't have any knowledge of American beverages. So. Well, this is where you, you, you're about to get it. So mm. if you have to leave, listen to the food podcast. If you want to stay, you're going to learn about Californian Chardonnay. Stick around, Ned. Oh. 
I have to go. I actually have to go and make a meme. <laughs> <laughs> so that is just tackling the, uh, the world's big problem. Up, you're, you're forgiven. So we know a lot about American food. It's um, very much a part of our uh, popular culture. But I feel like we know less about American beverages. So today we've been drinking a batch brewing Billfish American Pale Ale. Alice, what's an American pale ale? Well, Simon, it's a very complex and sort of murky category beer, but it's probably a good place to start by saying that the modern craft beer scene, pretty much we have a lot to thank America for. You know, the fact that we're drinking delicious, hoppy craft beers in New Zealand kind of all came from America. Um, the APA, so this is it, what we're drinking is actually a New Zealand beer. It's from Batch Brewing and it's called the Billfish APA. They don't actually call it an American pale ale, but that's where what originally an APA was an American pale ale. And they thought they, um, from my extensive Google based research, an American pale ale probably they think came about in about 1980. It's basically just a pale ale that uses American hops. And it has now become a um, a sort of catch-all phrase to mean a pale ale that's quite hoppy, but n- it not, ge- I mean, there's a lot of crossover, but generally not as high alcohol or as hoppy as an IPA. That's really useful information for me because I don't really like IPAs because they are too hoppy for yeah. me. But However, this one is absolutely delicious. I will qualify that in saying it's basically whatever the brewer wants. So people can call something an APA and it can be like hoppy as fuck, like 8%. And they can call it an IPA and it can be not. So it's not a, yeah, like okay. just go with caution. This, yeah, so this APA features, I think basically Batch Brewing has called it an APA because it has, yes, American hops, but also Aotearoa and Australian hops. Okay. So, like, and Tuatara does an APA that they call the Aotearoa Pale Ale. So, Yeah, I mean, do you think they don't want to call it American because, for example, Batch Brewing's branding is very Kiwiana? But maybe, but also, yeah, it's just kind of not. I mean, yeah, it's generally APAs are around, like, five, like, five, five point eight six percent Mm-hmm. Hoppy, yum but not like the crazily hoppy, really strong IPA. The the very That's famous dump the Trump yeah. beer. Was that an APA? I think so. I Should mean, but it could have been an IPA. You know, it's just whatever. Tell me about the dump the Trump beer. Ah, see, they call that an IPA. Um, dump the Trump is from Behemoth Brewing Company. It's an anti-Donald Trump beer. It's an anti-Donald Trump beer. Um, it's what we've all been drinking. Yeah. You'd match it. We're looking at the uh, website now. You match it with orange Cheetos. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, gross. Behemoth is a guy called Andrew Childs, who is uh, from? quite, he's from, he's based in Auckland now. He's from Wellington originally. And his wife is the Lady Butcher, who's American. Do you know her? She's a butcher and her company's oh. called A Lady Butcher. Cool. Anyway, they first brewed it um, before tr- Trump was elected, thinking like, He's not going to get elected. Yeah, like everyone thought. And yeah, so that's an American IPA. Um, and then he got elected. And then, so now they re-brewed it earlier this year and Did released you say it. American IPA? Yeah. Now that is confusing. Well, there's no, I mean, that's the thing. With beer styles, there's no set rules. You can call whatever. Just go wild. Whatever, yeah. I mean, if something's called, like no one could claim that they know the difference between an IPA and an APA because there's, not and they can you know it's just whatever the brewer wants to call it basically okay but yeah so this is called an APA and it's actually really nice it's quite light very drinkable not overly hoppy tastes like summer to me I think that's why I like it yeah summer's almost here as well it's a beautiful day I know still quite cold yeah but like um another one is the uh panted supercharger that's an APA so yeah they're just they're among my favorite beers I, I'd say it's hoppier, like this one, and this one's quite golden coloured. Yeah. And quite light. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Supercharger is one of my faves. I 
Yeah, it might be hof- you might find it a bit. You're much more of an aficionado than me, though. I think you're you go deeper on the hops. I'm yes, just, I well, I like tell. hops, and I can tell. I know that some people don't, and also that they become addictive. Like the more hoppy beers you drink, the more you want. Yeah, hoppier. see, so that's why I'm still at rookie status. But you don't. Yeah, I like feel like I've almost become a junkie for hops, and you don't want to be that person. So as well as the beer, we have. Um, delivered to us this morning from Fine Wine Delivery Company, a Californian Chardonnay uh, by Pacificana. It's 2017 and it's been, oh, excuse me, the cork is causing me problems. It's been barrel fermented. It's quite rare these days, isn't it? This is doing wonders for the birthday hangover, everyone. Thank you. So barrel fermented, did you say? It's quite light. Oh, no, I put to the sky, it's... um. It's like compared to the sort of classic American Chardonnays. The that, buttery numbers. Yeah, that, that got the reputation for yeah. being strong and okay. Yeah. Just, you know, that was a style that was a bit more aggressive than what they're going for here. I think we often forget about um, the US as a wine producing company in New Ze- uh, country in New Zealand. Um, you know, I, I automatically gravitate to... New Zealand um, wine, and then after that, I think about um, France. I yeah. think about Spain, and of course Australia as well. But I, I can't remember the last time I bought a bottle of uh, U.S. wine. And when I drove from um, L.A. to San Francisco, there are vines everywhere, and it's it's, it's very famous. And I just don't think about it. These guys are particularly um, well. I mean, they're in the in the exact zone that you're speaking about. But um, I think that there is a bit of a new wave of Californian winemaking that is a reaction to what was there before. So, like we were just saying, those super aggressive, really oaky Chardonnays and the reds that were really berryish and full of fruit, and now they're going. That was a bit much. Let's pull back and or just refresh it and refine it. So this Chardonnay actually tastes how I was expecting it to. I think it's more akin to Hawke's Bay Chardonnay mm. for us. So it's got a creaminess to it that is just as present as the oak. It's not like a big smash in the face yeah. of oak when I'm you en- drink it. I'm enjoying it because I'm not a huge fan of the really oaky, buttery shards. It's a bit sweet, but maybe that's just following the beer. And I like the label. So it's got a beer on it, which is nice. It's got a really nice, um, I think it would be absolutely delicious with food. It's, yeah. it's substantial enough that you wouldn't be drinking it without food after more than one glass probably. But I think that um, it would be amazing with seafood, with yeah. pasta. Have either of you watched the documentary on Netflix called Som? Yes. No. <laughs> it's about uh, a group of... Um, friends who are absolutely hectic about wine and their journey to trying to pass the exam to become a master sommelier. The way they analyse the wine from tip to toe is absolutely crazy and the speed at which they do it, doing the colour and the flavours and, you know, they at one point they found um, hints of rotting animal carcass in a red wine, you know, burnt orange skins. It's it's crazy what you, um, the flavour profiles that they can pull out of this grape juice. Yeah, and Alice was just saying that she's a bit of a um, hop junkie. I think I'm heading towards the wine version of that. The yeah. more you drink, the more you think about it, the more you taste, the more you read about it, the more you want to. And so that's the extreme, the Somme documentary. It mm. is amazing. It's how to make wine into an absolutely academic it's quite yeah. alarming. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's super hardcore and it's extremely serious. Yeah. And obviously that's not what we're aiming for. But in that documentary, they are swirling and smelling the wine. And they mm-hmm. say things like, the wine is white, the wine is French, the wine is from yeah. 1985 to 19... 19- yeah. You know, it's extremely specific how they can drill it mm-hmm. down. See, I much prefer to anthropomorphize my wine. Okay. To give it some you, some yeah. human characteristics. <laughs> okay, what do you mean by that? I think, you know, this wine is 
quite a long-legged blonde on a early summer's day who is out for a long lunch with only oh female friends and she's smart. <laughs> Sounds like me, to be honest. I feel like it's Prosecco that he's talking about. Yeah. No, this is more sophisticated is she than Prosecco. Or a bit more? No, she's, yeah. she, um, she's she reads books. Yeah. Uh, she might have a subscription to the New Yorker. Okay. You know that she's a deep thinker. Mm. Well, anyway, she's but got she good taste in wine. Yeah, no, she she would order snapper to go with this. Um, but she doesn't mind a uh, a bit of fried chicken on the way home uh, <laughs> later that night. Yeah. After a few espresso martinis. <laughs> Would she want to know if the snapper was lying caught? Or is she not that woke? She's woke as. Yeah. This is this is woke wine. Mm. Do you think the barrel fermentedness, are you guys getting a slight funk? Very slight? Or am I just getting that from reading barrel fermented? Like someone, yes, I get that. She, um... I'm not getting funk. She has clean feet, but she goes running, so there's just like a slight <laughs> funk. That's not me anymore, I do not go running. Yeah, my, you're like, my feet might smell, but I don't run. <laughs> not from running. Actually, my feet don't smell. I've never, like, people don't believe me, but I've never had smelly feet. No matter how sweaty I get, and wear no socks with shoes. Maybe you don't have sweat glands in your feet. Maybe. But this woman does. This woman does. Good to know. I think it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. And I also think that um, it's less than $20, which is quite important because no one can be drinking wine that costs more than $20 if they're Eating. not loaded. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, so like a really nice quality wine. It kind of, to me, it tastes really like elegant and it's affordable and delicious. So I'm into it. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it as well. Really interesting journey through the US today. I think it does suffer from a stigma at times and it has amazing things to offer from a food and beverage perspective. We'd better go. I have to cook a um, huge feed for 25 people over two camping stoves uh, this afternoon for the spin-offs shared um, Friday feed, a monthly celebration. Really nice to have you home, Sophie. Happy birthday. We've got a beautiful chocolate cake cooked by Alice. Thanks to so celebrate. much. It's a devil's food cake, which is an American cake. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about that just before we Well, start? basically it's just a chocolate cake and no, I, they called it a devil's food cake as a response to something called an angel food cake. Oh, right. But it's basically just quite an intense chocolate cake. This recipe is Nigella, who's not American, but I don't like using American recipes because they will say like one stick of butter and like, <laughs> who the fuck knows how much that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And we love Nigella as well. We do, yes. Do you know Nigella was named after her dad, whose name's it's Nigel? I did know that. Oh, <laughs> really? I always thought it was a Nigella seed. No, Like an obscure food reference. She's a junior. So you can call your firstborn daughter. I, I don't think the chat can get much better than that. <laughs> well, subscribe to Dietary Requirements on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. Read our recipes. Go look out for Sophie's diary uh, from Belly Malou. Is that correct pronunciation? It is, yes. On the spinoff.co.nz and join us next month. Thanks, everyone. Kakite. Enjoy your feast.
Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.